Well, hey, good morning once again. I am glad to be here with you. My name is Chris. If you didn't catch that, I am the lead pastor here at Hope Springs Church, and I'm just so, so happy to be sharing God's Word with you today. He's got a good Word for us, and uh, if we allow ourselves to be open, and if we allow our hearts to be a little soft, it just might change your life. Amen? So let me pray for us, and we'll get started. God, first and foremost, we want to thank you for your grace that is so irresistible that it draws us to you. And for those who have made that private, personal commitment to ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, and today are showing that decision publicly so that we can celebrate with that, celebrate them with them for that, God. We know that you say, if even one lost sheep returns, you are rejoicing. And so today we have eight, and God, you are so good, and you get all the glory, and you deserve all the praise and all the honor, God. And we ask that you continue to fill this place. We ask that you leave no doubt you are here. Uh, we ask that you open hearts and soften us so that we can receive your word, God. And I ask that you use me in any way you see fit, that I just become your instrument, and all the words be yours, and let nothing that comes out of my mouth be anything but your words, God. We love you so much, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and together as a church, we'll say amen. amen. When is the last time somebody asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up? When's the last time somebody asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up? This used to be a thing, right? When we were little, when we were small, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, we all had that one aunt or that one uncle who seemed to have no other question ever except for, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or maybe in school, third, fourth grade, you had to write the dreaded theme. 100 words or less. What do you want to be when you grow up? And we would invent all these things with no clue of what life was really like. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a, I want to be a policeman. I want to be an astronaut. Anybody here ever become an astronaut? Rachel did. I guess that was in a different life, huh? I wanted to be a cowboy. Not because I like doing cowboy things, but because I like wearing cowboy clothes. True story, true story. That's exactly how it was for me. I could show you lots of pictures of me. My mother tells me these stories that I would get a new pair of cowboy boots every year and I would sleep with them for nine months. True story. But we don't get asked that question much anymore, do we? Nobody ever has asked me in the last, I don't know how many years, hey, Chris, what do you want to be when you grow up? But still, still, we work really hard at planning what our lives are going to look like. We work really hard at designing just the perfect life for ourselves. We work really hard at finding all the right things, the right job, the right, the right person, the right spouse, the right relationship, the right school, the right post on Facebook. Does this picture work? Does this selfie show me in good light? We work really hard at designing our lives, and I did this for a long time. I spent about 15 years of my life, this was when I was kind of running away from God, uh, doing life on my terms, my way, in my own will, whatever I want. I was like, it's good. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go get it. And I made some good decisions and some bad ones. I, I, I had some happy times and some sad times. 
I met some interesting people. I visited some interesting places. I had a lot of cool experiences. That's the word for today, right? We all want to have an experience. I had all that, and if you were to look at my life, and maybe yours too, if you've designed your life that way, if you look back at your life, you might say, well, that was a pretty good life. Seems like you did some cool stuff. Seems like you got most of the stuff you wanted. Seems like it turned out the way I would think it would turn out. But if we're honest, and I mean really honest, and I want us all to be a little bit honest today, open and bare. Even if you're okay with your life, doesn't it still seem that there's something missing? Even if you look back at your life and say, well, you know, I have more good than bad. I have more stuff on the left side than on the right side. Doesn't it seem like you're always asking this question, is that all there is? Isn't there something more? And then we get to this place where we're like, well, I've done all the stuff I designed in my life. I've done everything I set out to do. I have grabbed the bull by the horns. I have grasped the golden ring. Why am I not fulfilled? Why is my life not filled with joy? We start asking those questions. And we start becoming like a hamster on a hamster wheel. Just running in circles. And so we search for more. We design more stuff. We do more things. We go and grasp more things. And we feel less satisfied. Seems like we try harder. And we're less fulfilled. But if we look at Jesus... And that's what we're doing in this kind of five-week series that we started called A Better Way. We're looking at Jesus' life, how he lived, and applying those principles to the way we live our lives in search of a better way. But if we look at Jesus' life, he didn't design his own life. And Jesus didn't set out in this world and say, I'm going to do it. He wasn't singing Frank Sinatra like I did it my way. He didn't do that. That wasn't Jesus. He, he wasn't all about the self-fulfillment and the self-actualization. And, and, and I got to make six figures by the time I'm 33. Guess what? He didn't. He was not one who just got sidetracked by the way of the world and what everybody else does. Jesus did ne- never said, it's all about me. And yet that's what we do. Jesus lived the life God designed for him from beginning to end, from the very time he was old enough to even know what was going on until the time he gave his life for you and me and our salvation on the cross. Jesus lived the life God had designed for him, the life God had set out for him. And this is what I want us to understand today. This is the theme I want us to operate on today. The life God designed for us is always better than the one we designed for ourselves. It's true. We design a life for ourselves that might look good on the outside, but deep inside there's something missing. I call it the God-shaped hole. There's only one thing that can fill the God-shaped hole, and that is God and living the life he designed for us. The life God designed for us will always be far and above, hands over, head and shoulders above the life that we designed for ourselves. Amen. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, then why don't we do that all the time? Why do we spend so much time trying to make it our own way? 
Why do we spend so much time doing things on our own, in our own will? Why? Why don't we just all say, I'm 100% sold out to a life following God, a life following Jesus, to live by his design? Why don't we do that? And I think there's a lot of reasons. Pride, right? We like to be the master of our own destiny. We like to be the captain of our own ship. We like to know when we've done something. We like to puff out our chest and say, I did that. Maybe we're stubborn. I don't know anybody like that. Maybe it's stubborn pride, right? That's the worst. Because I suffer from some pride issues, but I'm also a little bit stubborn. (laughs) You know, you combine those two. Uh, Maybe it's our strong will. We're just those kind of people who say, well, I know I can do it. And if I try hard enough, I'm going to get better. Maybe we think we just know better. We believe in God. We believe God's up there in the heavens and God looks at all things. But we're kind of in the back of our head. We're kind of like, well, you know, God's looking at 7 billion people on this earth. And maybe he's just not noticing what I'm doing. Maybe he doesn't see the situation I'm in. I know what I need to do. So I'm going to do it my way. Or maybe we just don't care. Maybe we just don't care. Of all the promises of scripture, of all the promises that God makes us, of all the promises that Jesus came and told us about his father, maybe we just don't care. And all those things are probably true. And all those things probably affect each one of us at some point or another. But in church world, we have a word for all those things. You ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. All right, you asked for it. That word is sin. Yeah, I know. It's one of those four-letter words we don't like to talk about in church. We all like to come in here and feel good and feel happy and sing a bunch of praise songs and go home. But it's true. And I'm not talking about necessarily the act of committing sins. I'm not talking about, you know, disrespecting God or cheating on your husband or wife or looking at pornographic images or any of those things. I'm talking about sin itself. We all suffer the effects of sin. Whether we go out and sin or not, we all suffer the effects of sin. It has doomed each one of us to a spiritual death, a separation forever from God. Not how it was designed. I want to do a little history lesson. All the way back to Genesis. Now, uh, if you're familiar or not, I'm going to kind of recap the story here, right? God created everything there was out of nothing. That's pretty cool anyway, right? Yes. I mean, he just said, let there be earth, let there be heaven, let there be stars, let there be moon. And everything was there. Then he created Adam, first man. And then he said, Adam shouldn't be alone. He should have a helper suitable for him. So he created Eve. They put them in the Garden of Eden. It was paradise. They didn't need nothing. They had everything. Everything they did, they was all. They didn't have to ask for nothing. They just walked over here, picked up something to eat. Walked over here, picked up something to eat. Walked over here. They was like sitting at their little, you know, table conversing with God, drinking a latte, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. I don't care. I'm not getting in on that argument. Whatever it was, God gave them everything they needed. Everything they needed. Imagine putting yourself in that situation. Imagine that. If everything you needed was taken care of, if you didn't have to ask for nothing, if you didn't have to pray about nothing, if you didn't have to want for anything, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? And that's what God designed for his creation. But then, but then, in Genesis chapter 3, we read this. This is Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, 
It's easy to find. Go to the front of your Bible, page over two chapters. That's Genesis chapter 3. And here's what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, here's what happened here. God set Adam and Eve up in perfect paradise and he said, all right, Adam and Eve, you got one job, one job. You got everything you want, as much of it as you want, as long as you want, forever. But you see that tree over there? Don't touch it. Don't touch it. That's all. That's the one job you got. The one rule I'm saying, don't touch that tree. And so the serpent says to Eve, you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, we're not talking about physical death. We're not talking about they took a bite of this fruit and killed over and died. What we're talking about here is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from his presence, from the life he designed for us, from his blessings, from his favor, from his countenance, from God being in our lives. That's the death they're talking about. So, you know, Eve eats it, Adam eats it, and then they're like, eyes are opened. And God comes around. He says, what's going on, Adam and Eve? And they're hiding. And, Eve, and Adam says, oh, don't look at us. We're naked. And God's like, wait a minute here. What's going on? Y'all do something you weren't supposed to do? I mean, I talk, gave you one rule, gave you one job. Y'all do something you weren't supposed to do? <laughs> and Adam, upstanding fellow that he is, immediately he's like, she did it. It's all her fault. It's all her fault. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Listen, I, I want to let us know. The serpent here represents Satan, the enemy. The enemy is always playing with us. The enemy is always trying to fill our head with all these ideas about what is good and what is not. And you should do this. And he's tempting us. And he's saying, remember the last time you did that? And remember how it felt when you did that? And oh, if you just went over and did that, you'd be just like all these people. The serpent is always, always playing with us, putting these lies and these ideas in our head. And I want to talk about the serpent just for a minute. Because I think it's interesting that God chose to use the serpent as the representation of Satan himself. When we think about snakes, anybody like snakes? One, two people. They're all Lisa's family, too. There must be something going on over there. I don't know. Not me. I saw a big old black snake crawling across my driveway the other day. I'm like, eh. No, 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 no. But when we think about snakes that can do harm to us, there's basically two kinds, right? There are the poisonous ones. They will bite you, and it will be really bad really fast. But then there's also the constrictors. You know how they kill their prey? They start wrapping themselves around you. And they just get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter until they squeeze the life out of you. 
And when we start designing our own life, we, we encounter the serpent. We encounter the enemy. And sometimes the things we do are like the poisonous snake. Sometimes we, we go off the rails so bad that it just blows our life up. Sometimes we go down these holes where our life just seems like it's shattered into pieces and can never come back. Sometimes we get into even deeper than that. But that's not what happens most of the time. Most of the time, we design our lives and come up against the boa constrictor. We think everything's good, and we just keep going down this road, and little by little, that serpent is just tightening up his grip on us, squeezing it out, suffocating us, filling our head with these lies until one day we wake up and we're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why do I feel so unfulfilled? Why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel like nothing goes my way? And notice what the serpent did. He lies. He said, oh, God knows if you eat from this tree, you will be like him. Anybody want to be like God? I don't. Let me tell you what. Too many people, 7 billion decisions I got to make every day. I don't want to be like that. But if you had the chance to be like filthy billionaire rich, you might jump at that. If you had the chance, some of us, you know, social media icons, if you had the chance to have like a million followers, you might jump at that. If you had the chance to have an affair and never get caught, you might jump at that. If you had the chance to go out and party all night long and it wouldn't affect your life, you might jump at that. This is what he does. He puts these lies into our head and they're intoxicating. They, 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 they tempt us. They draw us in. They draw us in. And he says, you can do it your way. You can do it on your terms. And you know what that does? They got a word for that nowadays. It's called FOMO. Fear of missing out. Right? That's where it brings us. We, we want it all. We don't want to miss anything. We're afraid that if we just don't do this one thing, that lie that he put in our head, we're afraid if we don't do that, oh, I'm going to miss out on something. I'm going to miss out on such a, such a wonderful thing according to the world's standards. But even when we grab all those things, even when we design our life around those, we still feel there's something more. We still feel unfulfilled. And we still feel there's something missing. Because the life God designed for us is always better than the life we can design for ourselves. And FOMO is not a new problem, by the way. Uh, it's at least, you know, as old as God's creation of the earth, because this is exactly what Adam and Eve got caught up in, fear of missing out. They're like, oh, we can be like God. I might as well eat from that. It wasn't like the fruit looked so great that they had to have a bite because they had lots of other stuff to eat. It was that idea, that lie, that fear of missing out. Oh, we want to be like God. We want to know good and evil. We want to know all that stuff. Not a new problem. It goes all the way back to them. Paul was dealing with it in the, in the book of Acts. Um, he was talking, he was going around uh, talking to a bunch of different people in a bunch of different cities. And he happens upon a group of people in Athens. And he's talking to some people there who would have been like philosophers and Stoics and, you know, like kind of uppity crust, oh, you know, smoking a little pipe and cardigan sweaters and all that kind of stuff. 
And he's talking to these people, and it was kind of cool because Paul would use, like, all the references of the day. He would use, you know, quotes from their poets and, and from their culture and from their art and all this kind of stuff. And Paul's talking to them, preaching the gospel. This is Acts chapter 17, verse 23, and he says, As I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Think about that. They wanted everything. They worshiped everything. They wanted it all. They had a God for everything. They believed that we have a God for everything, then that God will bring us luck and prosperity and fertility, whatever it was. They named a God for it, but they were so caught up in the way of the world, not missing out. They didn't want to miss nothing, so they put up a statue to an unknown God, just in case we miss somebody, just in case there's another opportunity that comes along, just in case there's something we thought we were going to miss out on. Who is your unknown God? Because we have the same problem. We design our lives so we don't miss a thing. And still, we feel empty. And, and I don't want to give us the wrong idea here. Uh, the things in our lives are not bad. Cars are not bad. Houses are not bad. Vacations are not bad. Double espresso vanilla latte is not bad. You know, key lime pie covered in whipped cream is not bad. Oodles and noodles are not bad. None of that stuff is bad, except that we have a messed up thinking about stuff. We have a messed up thinking about the things that God has done for us. Paul goes on in this conversation to say this. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him Reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. God gave us amazing, wonderful things in this world. He spoke it all into creation, not so that we can go on about our business and design our own lives, but so that we would look at his creation. We would look at these amazing things, these amazing people, these amazing places, these amazing blessings, these amazing gifts that God gives us, and we say, I need to be closer to him. I need to run to him. I need to be the one. He needs to be the one who guides my life. He needs to be the one who designs my life. He didn't do this so we would design our own lives, clinging to all the stuff, but so that we would run to him. Because the life he designed for us is always better than the one we designed for ourselves. And listen, I lived with this fear of missing out for a long, long, long time. I did. You all have heard my story, and if you haven't, I'll be happy to tell you. I'm not going to bore you guys with it today because we're getting ready to dunk some people. Um, But I did. I chased all the nuggets like a carrot on a stick that you can never reach. I did that for a long, 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 long time. And you know what? None of it satisfied. None of it brought me to that place of true contentment. None of it brought me to that place of true fulfillment. There was always something missing. Because the only thing that can fill that God-shaped hole in each one of us is God. We might live in fear of missing out. And we might design our lives around that. But I got to tell you, not because I have a whole bunch of theoretical proof about it, but because I have seen it work in my life. God is so much more than anything we can imagine. Anything we can imagine. 
Paul goes on to conclude his argument this way. He says, for in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. In him. Not in the world. Not with the boa constrictor tied around our waist. Not chasing the dream. Not chasing a seven-figure income. Not chasing houses and cars and all the cool stuff. Not chasing millions of likes on Facebook. In him, in the life he designed for us, in his presence, in his grace, in his love, in his mercy, in his patience, in his compassion. Living in his design, we have everything we need. Life and breath and our entire being. That's everything. There's nothing more. Nothing more. We can look to the outside, but we're not going to find it. Because we're not defined by those things. We're not defined by the things that we cling to in this life we design for ourselves. We are not vacations. And we are not the plans we make. We are not the cars we drive. We're not the house we live in. We're not the friends we keep. We're not our social media presence. We, we are not, our identity is not defined by how many likes and follows and shares we get. We are not the Starbucks or Dunkin'. I'm not going to argue that. You guys fight that out by yourselves. I don't care. I like both. I'm an equal opportunity coffee junkie. That's good. We are not the selfies taken in the morning with our coffee and our devotional with the hashtag time for God. We're not that. We are not that. If we were that, if those things could define us, if those things could define our life, then we would never sit back and say, isn't there something more? Isn't there something missing? Why am I not fulfilled? Because we could easily fill our lives with all the stuff of this world. We're not those things. We are who God says we are. And God, you know what God says about you? God says you are loved. God says you are loved so much that he gave his one and only son to die for your sins so that you could be reunited to him. God says you are redeemed. God says you are chosen. God says you are his masterpiece. He knelt down in the mud and scooped it up and formed you. He says you were created for good works and I've already planned them out. He says you are set free. He says you are alive. He says you are marked for purpose. And most of all, through Jesus Christ's work on the cross, he says, you, you are forgiven. You don't have to deal with that boa constrictor tightening his grip on you day after day after day after day. We all think we know what we want from our lives. But the life we never knew we wanted is the life that God designed for us. If you want true fulfillment, true contentment, true joy, and don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean an easy life. That doesn't mean all the stuff we deal with is going away. What that means is we have an anchor. We have a rock. We have a God who promises not that things will be easy, but that I will be with you no matter what you go through. And we can look to him in this life that he designed for us. And we can say, there is where my fulfillment is. There is where my contentment is. There is my source of joy. There is my source of hope. The life God designs for us is always better than the one we could design for ourselves. Today, I'm so pumped. We get to celebrate eight people who have made that decision follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior.
We get to celebrate. We get to celebrate those decisions of people choosing to live in this new life, in this life that God has designed for them by following Jesus. And listen, I would not be a pastor if I got off this stage and didn't give every one of us a chance to do the same thing. I don't want to ever, ever leave here without giving somebody a chance to ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. We do this every week. And you might be thinking, well, is it really something I should do? You might be feeling something tug on your heart right now. That's God, his grace. It's irresistible. Just let it happen. Just let it happen. Just let it happen. Just give it up. Just give it up. Don't say like, oh, no, I can't do that. Do it. Do it. Do it. I promise you it will be the best decision you ever made. And if you want to be baptized right here, we'll do it. That's right. We'll stay here all day long. And so if you are stuck being squeezed by this unfulfilling life. If you are weary of trying to do things on your own and making something that satisfies, if you want to be reunited with God the Father in heaven who created you and has marked you for purpose and has designed a life, not just now, not just today, but he already has it written in his book. He knows. I would just invite you to pray this prayer with us. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross as payment for my sin. Jesus, I believe you rose on the third day, defeating spiritual death. Jesus, I surrender, and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. And Father God, we just thank you for anybody who has made that decision today. We thank you once again for the eight people that we're going to be uh, celebrating here in a couple of minutes who have already made that decision, God. We, we just ask that you open up every heart, that you just keep your grace flowing in this place, that you keep pulling people in. It's not me. It's not the words that I say. It's not what I do. It is you. It is always you. It's your grace, your grace alone. Keep pulling. Holy Spirit, work. Holy Spirit, work in this place to bring anybody who is just on the, on the edge of making a decision to follow Jesus right over there, God. Just keep working. And for those of us who maybe have forgotten that the life that God designed for us is much better than the life we designed for ourselves. Lord, help us to just redouble our efforts to following you, to walking closely with you, to, to work hard to become the people that you have designed us to be, God, because there is no life without you. There is no life without Jesus. And finally, God, we ask that you keep everybody here healthy and safe. Until the next time we join together here and meet and worship and praise you, God, we love you. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll all say amen. amen. The band's going to play a song for us, and then we're going to get to some dunking.